John 3.22, uh, as we continue our, our uh, uh, series through the book of John, it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out, from, uh, went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was also uh, was baptizing at Aeon, or however you want to, Eon, however you want to pronounce that, near Salem, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. So Anon uh, is up on the Jordan River, and there's seven different springs that are up there, and Christ has been in the Judean desert just north of Jerusalem. Uh, and what he's saying is, basically his pastor saying, a lot of people are being baptized at this point. Uh, this, would, uh, this is kind of a neat phrase. It says that Jesus, he spent time with his disciples. What this means is he was hanging out with them. He didn't approach it like, man, I'm starting a new religion and, and you know, so I have like two hours to hang out with you guys because we're busy. You know, it was, he was just hanging out with them like he had nothing better to do. And, and this is what he does with the relationship with us. He gets one-on-one -on -one with us and he's just hanging out with us. And we're like, well, Jesus, you got the whole world to deal with. He's like, no, but right now it's just you and I and we're hanging out here. So now we see the disciples come together, and they start to become friends. And I mean, these guys were from all different types of walks of life. Uh, you know, what we would say is the CEO all the way down to the janitor. I mean, all different types of walks of life. And they hung out with Jesus, and they became a solidified group. And it's much like that today. You know, why are we hanging out? Why do we have Wednesday nights over at my house? It's because as the Lord builds our church, it's important for people to hang out. It's important to have those relationships beyond the, hi, how are you doing? Uh, you know, we could do that every Sunday, right? Hi, good to see you. And then never talk again. But we need to really hang out. We need to break bread together. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, now what happens next is very typical of, of different groups of people, right? Verse 25, it says, an argument developed. Have you ever been involved in an argument around here? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Arguments develop, that's okay, between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. So John has his own disciples that really haven't started following Jesus Christ yet. And they're very defensive about anything that happens to do with John. They're very loyal and they're kind of jealous of what's happening. In fact, they won't even say Jesus' name. Did you, did you catch that? The guy on the other side, you know, the, that guy over there. Uh, you know, what was his name? And people are going over there and they're starting to follow. He has been totally copying you, John. And we don't like this. He's baptizing people just like you were doing. And these guys start, you know, uh, <laughs> man, they're, just, they're just eating them up in a sense. But John, they love this guy, John. In many ways, John was their Messiah. So John addresses this in the next few verses. In verse 27, he says, To this John replied, A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I, that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom, uh, attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. In other words, that would be me, John is saying. 
and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. This is a very powerful statement that ends in a very powerful word. John has had an amazing ministry. And he, you know, he's come out of the wilderness and he's speaking like an Old Testament prophet. And remember, the Lord has not spoken to them in over 400 years. So people are flocking and they're responding to John in a big way. Roman soldiers have come out in full battle dress. And then, you know, kind of going, you know, just to make sure John's not causing problems. And they end up as, as believers in what John is talking about. The Pharisees have come out to confront him and, <coughs> and found themselves being baptized by him. Jesus himself walked out into the water and has been baptized by John. I mean, this guy is on a roll, and it's fun to be a part of this type of ministry. I've, I've been, you know, I had the blessing of being parts of different types of ministries, and, and uh, up in the Bay Area, the Bay Area was growing like, like you wouldn't believe, and the church was growing like you wouldn't believe, and it's a lot of fun. It's fun being a part of a winning team. And his ministry was a great one. And he says, you know what, guys? I'm not the Christ. It is not about me. You are too focused on me. And I've seen this also happen. Church and Barry growing like you wouldn't believe. But it was like everybody was following the pastor. And not everyone, but you know what I'm seeing? There's a sense of that, of, of they're following a man instead of following God. And we need to be focused on God. He says, I am not the Christ. You're too focused on me. To the point where the Messiah shows up and you guys are upset about it. That's what he's saying. So John starts talking about the Old Testament and, and the concept of bridegroom and the bride. Because God has always talked like this. And as Hosea chapter 2, he says, Behold, the day is coming that when you will call me your husband. And Isaiah 62, it says, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. John is saying, Guys, you need to listen up here. There is a bride and there is a bridegroom. And I am neither one. I'm just the best man. I'm just here to, you know, my, I've done my work. Now it's your turn to go over there and, in a sense, marry Jesus, okay? Now, don't go too far with that, but you know what I'm saying, okay? Uh, you guys have fallen in love with the best man. Has it ever worked out when the bride's fallen in love with the best man? No, it doesn't work out too well, does it? And that's what he's saying. You've got to fall in love with, you know, with Jesus and not me. And Jesus claims or begins to claim his bride. So John says, guys, here's the deal. He will start increasing and I won't. In fact, I'm going to go down. I'm going to decrease. And this is a powerful thought for us in ministry and every day in life. He must increase and I must decrease. It is about God's glory, not our own glory. When we go over to the Philippines, it's not about Pastor Allen or Pastor Lewis or anybody else that goes on the team to, to do stuff. It's not like, oh, we're so great, we're going on a mission. No, this is about God. It's about giving the love of God to those who need it, who want it, to, that have a desire for it. And it's eye-opening for us to, to do those things. It is about Jesus in whatever way the Lord wants you to serve, if you truly seek to serve the Lord, you start to understand something. It's never about us. 
It never is. It is about Jesus. And we must focus on Jesus. We must keep the focus off ourselves. Always point people to Jesus. If you want to be successful in this life, if you want to be successful in your ministry for God, as you live out there in this world that needs to see God, keep decreasing. Jesus says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. If you want to be successful, lift up Jesus. And when you do this, you actually get to be a part of what God is doing. John is like the best man. He is part of the big picture of God, and he enjoys his part. But he also knows that it's not about him and his role. To be a part of the wedding, to be invited to the wedding, that is really cool. To to really get to see the bride and groom. How nervous... And, and you wonder what they would whisper to each other, but you can never mistake yourself for one of them. You can never do that. John is saying, I told you guys I was not the man, I'm not the Messiah. He goes on in verse 31 and says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth. He's like, thank you earthlings for listening. But, I'm all, but he's going, I'm also an earthling here. And he speaks as, as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it will be certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives a spirit without limit. He's like, guys, you think I've been full of the Spirit here, the Holy Spirit? But I, you know, and he goes, yeah, I have been, but it's been because of the grace of God. But it's nothing compared to what Jesus is and what Jesus means in this life. I've worked very hard, and I've been very clear in my teaching. And I hope you understand this message John is saying. It's Jesus is the Word of God. So go and listen to him. Verse 35, the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. It's been handed over from God to the son of God now. And I shall, you know, start diminishing here. Verse 36, whoever believes in the son of the, has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. This is all about the fresh touch of the Holy Spirit doing something. Not relying on, well, this worked five years ago, so we're just going to keep doing it so it'll work today. John, you know, what have you been working on? And he goes, yes, but, 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 but God, does God want me to continue in this role? That's what John's grappling with. He's had a successful ministry, but does God want him to continue? And he goes, I'm not sure. I think I should de- decrease here. And, and he's not even old enough to retire in a sense. And he's not retiring, but he's still a young guy. But he really understands this. And one last thing, for anybody doing this type of ministry, it is not about you. That's one thing we got to figure out. It's not. It's about Jesus and what he will maybe possibly do with you and through you for his glory. It's the complexity and the beauty of the plan that it's not about us. If we leave Jesus in the center, most of the time God only brings tests and trials to those who need tests and trials. 
God only disciplines those who need to be disciplined, right? If you have a a disobedient child, you discipline that child, right? If you have an obedient child, what do you do? You just kind of let them keep going, right? You don't necessarily discipline them. And this is God with us. He disciplines us when he needs to. And he blesses us at other times. And we get to enjoy that blessing. So our role is to stay obedient. How do we stay obedient? Well, we stay in the word. We start talking with him. What do you want me to do in this life, Lord? What do you want me to do in my job? What do you want me to do in my free time? What do you want me to do in my family life? How do you want me to raise my children? Those are all wonderful things to be talking to God about, and he gives us direction. How do, you know, how do I influence my grandkids, and how do I influence my nieces and nephews and all those things? Because everybody watches everybody, right? You're darn right. I mean, it's so funny being in the Philippines because everybody looks at you because you don't look like them, you know? And they're just always staring at you. We're driving down the road. I, I, the, the cars are hilarious because the things that they do in the Philippines, we could never get away with here. They just all pile in the back of a pickup and they just go, you know. It's so funny. But every time uh, we're riding in one of the vehicles or whatever, people just do this. And they just stare at you the whole time because you're different. You look at it, and people are always watching us, so, so we need to be acting with the heart of God. And the heart of God says, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. Follow my ways. I'll pour out my spirit on you, and I want to do all these great things for you. But he says to Israel, and he says to us, sometimes you require me to discipline you. And as a good parent, I'm going to say no dessert tonight. But since I'm a good parent, I'm also going to meet your needs. I'm also going to discipline you. But Lord, we don't want your discipline. We want your blessing, right? That's what we always say. But God also has to do both. Chapter 4 starts out and it says, Now Jesus learned... Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Okay, no big deal, right? We just think, oh, he he was in this area and he had to go that way and he just went through Samaria, right? Well, reality is there's a lot behind this. First, he's going to leave Judea. He's going to leave the Pharisees behind. He's not ready to deal with them. Uh, One day he would deal with the Pharisees. But, but, uh, you know, the best way to not get in an argument is what? To leave, right? You know, I I just saw uh, an article. uh, I was just flipping through some of the news because when you're on the plane, you don't, you know, I I won't tell you how many hours we traveled. It was a lot of fun. Um, Got home at midnight last night. So, uh, But uh, I was reading in the news that, that uh, one guy got beat up by like six bikers because he bumped into one of them when he was in a bar. Okay, well, one, 2 a.m. in a bar is not a good thing. Okay, let me just say that to begin with. But secondly, it's like he bumped into them, and instead of, leave, you know, when they got all mad at him, instead of just leaving alone, what does he do? He argues with them, right? Well, that always works out well with biker gangs, right? 
You know, so you could imagine what happens on that. Uh, you know, the best way to get out of an argument is to leave, and that's what Jesus does. He leaves, but he also leaves John. John has an effective ministry, and John doesn't just stop it yet. He continues to do what? Point to Jesus. John is like, until the Lord asks me to do something else, I'm going to continue doing what he told me to do. Now, right here in the passage, it says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Jerusalem and Judea is down south. I should have put a map up, but I didn't think about it. Samaria is in the middle, and Galilee is up north. It's really straightforward. He needed to go through Samaria. But what you don't know, or maybe some of you might know this already, is that the Jews never went through Samaria. It was always a joke. Well, you know, there was a Jewish rabbi in Samaria. And people would be like, oh, ha, ha, you know, because you would go, well, that would just never happen. You know what I'm saying? Are you following me or not? Okay, you're following me. Good. So, I mean, that just didn't happen uh, with the people. Uh, a Jewish w- uh, a man would not walk through Samaria. One, it was not safe for him, okay? These guys hated each other. Uh, to this day, there's a group that still follows the Samaritan ways, and, and they wear white, and they only st- uh, study the Pentateuch, which kind of cracks me up because back in the day, they rejected the Pentateuch, okay? Uh, it's a whole different thing. So something's going on here. He says he needs to go. I mean, this is Jesus. What does he need? You know what I'm saying? Really? What does Jesus need? Well, his desire is to have a relationship with people. His desire is to save people. So he's going to introduce himself to someone. There's a lost person up in, as some, some scriptures say, the, the word is uh, Samar or Sychar, depending on which translation you have. But, but you know, God has a, has a need to reach us. God has a need to be with us. This is why he came. It was what he told Nicodemus, as as you guys heard last week. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. He went from Nicodemus to this woman. You can't get too opposite from these two. I mean, Nicodemus was at night. This is during the day. Here you have a Jewish man, a Samaritan woman, you, you know, a holy man and an unholy woman, a man who's respected, revered even. I mean, he's one of the top 70 scholars in the nation, really he's the top scholar in the nation, but they considered him a, a, a great rabbi at the time, glowing reviews from the, the people. The people called him the teacher of Israel. So now John shows us someone who is exact opposite, and he goes through Samaria. Verse 5, it says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So it's about noon. Summer, 90, 95 degrees there, Pretty hot, pretty dusty, kind of like our area. And, and, and this well is still there today. It's got a building built over it, and, but it's still there. And he's hot, and he's tired, and he sets down. And, and this is amazing to me. Jesus, God, a God that gets tired. This is pretty weird, isn't it, for us to think that way? He comes as a human, and on this day he was tired. So what does he do? He sends his friends in the town to find some lunch, 
and he goes off by, by himself. Now, another thing I see that Jesus does here, he still ministers when he gets tired. Did you know you're supposed to minister when you're, when, when you're gun-ho and also when you're tired? Just because you're tired doesn't mean you just drop everything. It means you seek the Lord to, to sustain you. God doesn't want you to do just one more thing. He will say, I will give you the strength to do what I want you to do. We need to remember that no matter whether our bodies are cooperating with us or not, God still loves us and he still has a purpose for us in this life. And he will give you the strength to make it, even when we think he may not. So never give up. Never give up when you're tired. He's tired, he's thirsty, and he sees a Samaritan world around him. It says in verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you even ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Well, this is interesting, isn't it? You won't even talk to us until you need something, she said. Oh, so you need me now. I guess you didn't bring a bucket with your rope. You know? I mean, this is one messed up community. You had to bring your own bucket and rope to the well. Okay? Because it would get stolen, <laughs> I guess. I don't know why. Yeah, you know, uh, they didn't leave it out there. This well is over 100 foot deep. Oh, so you need me now. You guys were prejudiced against us, and she kind of has a point. I mean, back in 722 uh, B.C., the Syrians drag off the northern kingdoms, all the ten tribes, uh, with literally, and we've talked about this before, with fish hooks in their mouth, okay? So literally huge fish hooks. They would hook you in the cheek, and they would rope you all up, and, and they took them back to, uh, to Assyria, and uh, uh, back to Nineveh and stuff. And, and some were left, okay? And then they would, what they would do is they would take people from a different area and move them into this area. So now you have what we would commonly say, and, and I know this is not, you know, in our world, you're not supposed to say this, this type of stuff, but it makes sense here. You would have half-breed children, right? You would have a Jew marrying a non-Jew, and then you would have a child that is half-Jewish, so, when, uh, uh, you know, when the people come back from exile, when, uh, you know, come back from Babylon and all that kind of stuff to rebuild, all these people are like, yes, we're lucky. We're, you know, the people are coming back. The, the, you know, my, my ancestors are coming back. And, and, and the people got back and said, oh, wait a second. We don't accept you. You're a half-breed, they would say. You, you compromised. You married a, you know, somebody from a different way of life. So in 400 B.C., they built their own temple at Mount Gerizim. So basically, they, they couldn't go to the temple. They weren't accepted, so they built their own temple to worship the Lord. And they started offering sacrifices, and they took the Pentateuch, and they threw it out. And it was too bad that all this happened. And in 128 B.C., the Jews and the Maccabean rulers attacked the temple and destroyed the Samaritans that were up there and the temple. So Jesus comes through, and she basically says, big deal, you're thirsty. You're a Jew. You hate us. Verse 10, it goes on and says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God 
and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. What can you get this, uh, where can you get this living water? And the greater, uh, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I gave, or give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. These are powerful words that he's saying. And John carries this theme of water all the way through his book of John. Only, and this is only chapter 4. He's talked about water, baptism, turning water into wine, Nicodemus. I mean, th- th- there's something about this. And Jesus will continue to talk about water. The well of salvation that will spring out. Uh, up out of whoever drinks of this water. It's like knowing that the Lord sources me into the well of the water. And how does he do this? This is called the Holy Spirit. He's saying this water, this is, you know, th- this well water that you're, that you're drawing here, <coughs> you know, seeping in from the water table. It's not the greatest water, but if you believe in me, I will give you the best water out there. I will give you pure water, the most pure water that's available from the source of life. David talked about this. Isaiah talked about this. There's something about water, and Jesus talks to us about water and how it would flow out of us as we share Christ. Now, what is water? (coughs) Sorry. What is water? Water is everything, right? When I was over in the Philippines, did I just turn on the tap, grab a water, and, and just drink up? No, 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 no. I mean, I could. I'd probably get sick, right? Because there's certain things in that water that's going to make me sick. I drink bottled water and bottled water only. Okay, we made sure that we had bottled water all the time for any water that we drink. It's contaminated water. This world is contaminated water. But the water that comes from Christ... The waters, the Holy Spirit is pure water. It will never sicken us. It will heal us. If we are to be effective in this world, we have to spend enough time with him that our wells are replenished. And what is sad is, is really it's, it's the baby Christians that I'm not talking to here. It's, it's the ones that have been around the Lord for a while. We think we have it down, Right? The problem is our well gets lower and lower and lower, and we haven't been going to God to replenish it. Our life becomes almost like a rules-based thing, or to a point where we don't even think, what would Jesus want me doing right now? I think we need to start asking the question. (coughs) Sorry, let me turn this fan. I think it's making me cough a little bit. We need to start asking uh, the question. Would anyone want to become a Christian just by knowing me? Hmm. That's a great question, isn't it? Would anyone observe my life enough to go, there's something different about that man? Or your life, there's something different about that woman or that man or that child? The truth is that we don't have to to change much 
All we have to do is allow the fullness of the well to be filled and to spring out of us for it to come out of us. And people can, can tell whenever, you know, people can tell whether you have it or not, right? Just like Nicodemus last week, either the spirit is active or it's not. And the, the interesting thing about being the, the spirit being active in our lives, we can't blame that on anyone except ourselves. We can't blame it on our spouse. We can't blame it on our family. You can't blame it on the church or the pastor. Because here we focus on worship and the word. And our studies that we do are focused on the word. And how does the word, you know, inter, interject into our life? And how does it change us? And some people are like, well, you know, God just made me grouchy. It's personality God gave me. I took a test and that's what it said. No, you're just a grouch, okay? You know, or you're just whatever, you know. You know, well, God just made me a truth teller so I can just be rude to anybody because that's what I'm going to say. You know, now they may not say it that way, but that's what they're saying. You know what I mean? We have to, we have to test our personality against God and say, God, is this the personality you put into me? Now change me to make me more like you. The love and grace-filled truth. Truth can happen, but it has to happen around love and grace and those things. Because the love of God needs to spring out of our lives as we continue with the Holy Spirit becoming active in us. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, it amazes me how often Jesus uses things right in front of us to teach us, to share about the Father. And we should do the same when we're talking to non-believers. Use everyday things to talk about Christ because they're just as thirsty now as they were back then. And he used it so we should too. Verse 15 the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I have to keep, uh, and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband, and come back. Now, this is almost mean from our perspective, okay? Verse 17 says, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you are now, uh, now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. No wonder she's coming at noon, right? I mean, most women would come early in the day or late in the evening. Would you go out in the middle of Tulare to go find water out of a well at, you know, at noontime? No. You'd do it in the morning or evening, right, when it's a little cooler. But she's coming in the middle of the day because people don't really like her especially in a you know, religious, rigid community. This woman has had five husbands, and the sixth one now she's with isn't even you know, her husband. I mean, she just throws away husbands, right? No, 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 no. That's not true. This culture does now not allow a woman to divorce. Only the men could divorce someone. So she has been rejected over and over and over. Or, this is a woman who's been through five emotional 
funerals. And by the third, the DA is kind of investigating her, right? Looking at her going, okay, what's going on? Or this woman's been rejected five times. Tried love, got hurt, failed. Tried love, got hurt, failed. Tried love, failed. Tried love, failed. And this is a small town. No wonder why she gave up on marriage. And, and Jesus, before he gives her the water, you know, he's speaking to the root of her pain. This is a thirsty woman. It's no wonder she is so catty with, with him. She would have recognized him as a Jewish priest because of the garments that he was wearing. And she's being snooty to Jesus. She's being offhand to him. You know, there, there's not a man on the planet who could meet her needs because she has been hurt. And she's not going to allow it to happen again. You know what I'm saying? That developing that attitude, you know. And this is probably the first interesting conversation that she's had lately. And here's a guy who doesn't want something from her, but wants to give her something. And she comes right at the thing. And Jesus deals with her most painful thing and pokes at her heart. And he's not doing it to be mean. He's doing it because she needs the living water to apply to her life because it will change everything. Jesus comes and says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for the righteousness, for they shall be filled. All the time I get asked, you know, Pastor Allen, I'm not really feeling God right now. Well, first of all, God is not a feeling. I know that, that in a lot of churches we try to build up the emotion and, and, that, and have an emotion about God is not wrong. We need emotion along with logic, okay? Uh, we, we need both. But God's just not a feeling. He is a way of life. And sometimes you, you will feel him in powerful ways. But our first mistake is thinking that, that it's a feeling always. But more importantly, the second thing is this. Are you thirsty? Truly, are you thirsty? Are you hungry? If you are, then you'll be filled by the Holy Spirit. If you're not feeling God now, start to get hungry, start to get thirsty, and you will be filled. Seek the Lord. But when you stop feeling hungry, when you stop feeling thirsty for God, then you will move away from Him. He doesn't move. You know, the old joke is, you know, when we, you know, old cars, okay, I'm dating myself barely. Some of you guys would understand this that are older than me. Um, you know, we used to have bench seats in the front. Now we have, you know, uh, two chairs, right, with a thing and the console in the middle. We used to have bench seats, right? So when I'm dating my wife, you know, I'm driving along, got my arm around her. Yeah, this is awesome. Eventually I'm not, you know, and I'm like, well, I didn't move, I'm driving. She moved, right? So I blame it on her. Um, but no, the car's got the consoles now. But, but that's, that's the point. God doesn't move. We're the ones moving away from God. It goes on here in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So what is she doing? Well, you're a prophet, so i got a Bible question. You're a pastor, let me ask you this question. So she's kind of deflecting here. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, 
A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is for the Jews. Yet a time is, com- yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the God, uh, will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he speaks, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. I, am he. I mean, you, you've got to feel the, you know, the goosebumps here. This is the first time that Jesus has said this. Me, I, I'm the Messiah, and I've come to talk to you. Nicodemus figured it out, so Jesus didn't have to tell him. But, but here he outright says it, and where are his disciples? Well, typical disciples, they're out getting lunch, Right? They're not even around for this. Verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with this woman. And they're all like, what's he doing with the Samaritan woman? You know, as they're walking along, you know. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? They could tell something intense is going on. Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come. See the man who told me everything that I ever did. Now, I mean, that would make people nervous, right? <laughs> Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? You know, they're like, what? Uh, we don't understand. Verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is a great, wonderful biblical principle. If you are doing the will of the Father, you will be replenished. So quit thinking about yourself so much and start thinking about how can I serve the Lord? You know, it's kind of interesting. We were... um, in the Philippines, we, we were up, at, uh, up in Tacloban in Leyte, and then we went down south uh, to where the dive site was, and, and they were very apologetic because the, the first night my air conditioner worked. It was great because, I mean, it's hot there. It's humid. It's like I, I grew up in Houston, Texas, okay? I didn't realize it was humid until I left Texas and then went back during the summer, and I was like, why did my parents ever want to live here, you know? I just couldn't understand it. So it's like that over there. It's humid and it's hot. And, and at night, it's for an American, it's really nice to have air conditioning, okay? Well, it stopped working the next morning. And for three days, it didn't work. And they're very apologetic. And I finally, you know, after they apologized about the fifth time, I said, look, how can I complain? Because across the street, because literally we're right there on the ocean, uh, across the street were thousands of homes that had been destroyed in a, in a typhoon that just went through there in December. So how can I complain about a little air conditioning when I have food, I have water, I'm having a great time going out scuba diving, and I don't have air conditioning? You see, when, when, when we start thinking about things, in reality we go, whoa, whoa, this is not about me. When we're focused on the Lord, he meets our need, uh, needs. We're going to be replenished 
We start thinking, how can I serve the Lord? How can I be an influence for God right then and there? Verse 35 goes on and says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Two things are happening here. One is when the wheat needs to be harvested, you only have a few days to actually do it. But also, the Samaritans were white, and these people wearing white, you know, all over the place, and the harvest is, is ready, and you're missing it, he's saying. He's saying, you, you're, you're not understanding. Even now, verse 36, even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for the eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the, the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So the Samaritans came to him. They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. Verse 41, and because of his words, many became believers they said to the woman, we, are, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is a savior of the world. See, what, what's great about this is these people have been rejected for years and years and years by the Jew, and rightly so for their actions, but they are the first to recognize the savior of the world. I mean, <coughs> other than Nicodemus, Right? This is the first words that we get of people recognizing him. Philip said, I think I've found the Messiah. But these guys, they're like, he's the savior of the world. These guys get it. And he came for everyone, not just the Jews. This is the first case of a whole town believing. And we start to see this more and more. And it all starts in Samaria who had been rejected. And they start to understand the heart of God the heart that would go out to people around the world. The field is white with harvest, and we have a chance to tell people about it. Or we can be just like the, the disciples and walk right past without even realizing. And then we come back and we find Jesus doing his work alone. Should Jesus be doing his work alone? No. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. To change the world. That's one reason why we're trying to, to reach out and do the, the missions in the Philippines. To get our eyes off of ourselves and into this world that there's a bigger picture here. They deserve Jesus just as much as we do. They need to understand. Don't ever let the Lord bypass you so he can do ministry. Lift up your eyes. And when you go to work tomorrow, the fields are ripe with harvest. When you go to your neighborhood today, look around. The fields are ripe with harvest. The Lord may use you today or tomorrow or the next week. And the question is, are you willing to be used by God? Are you willing? If you are, seek him now so you're ready when he's ready. Why don't you stand and we'll pray as Tyler and them come and finish us up with a last song. Lord, we thank you for loving us.
We thank you for going beyond the Jews into this world and presenting yourself as a savior of this world. And I pray that we recognize that each and every day, that we rely on you, your Holy Spirit, to replenish us. Lord, for those that that maybe are are saying, I haven't talked to the Lord in a while, I pray that you impress upon them the, the need to connect with you, the relationship that you want to have with them. May that relationship just well up so much that their well overflows into this world. Lord, the people need to recognize you through us. And I pray that as, as you're glorified, that our lives decrease and it becomes about you. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you this week of Palm, uh, Palm Sunday as we get to Easter, Lord. May we be viewing life through you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.